The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Position previews are over, but we started them so long ago, I figured we'd recap all of our thoughts and overreact to spring training because why not? Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today on March 3rd, a little under a month until the start of the regular season. Frank Stanfield joined as always by Scott White and Chris Towers before we give the people what they want. Chris, where did you get that amazing jacket and how would you describe it to the listening audience? Because uh, that is a straight fire. Yeah, it is like a shiny, I don't know, what like, like a vinyl Probably it's like a puffy, it's like a puffy bomber jacket, but it's a I call it sports bright blue. I call it a 1990s dugout jacket because that's that's the era of baseball. It reminds me of like I don't know it's somebody good. like Gene Lamont in the yeah. dugout wearing that. And uh, it's a, a late 80s, early 90s like MLB on CBS jacket that I found at a uh, at a vintage store in Brooklyn, of course. Uh, incredibly on brand for me. And uh, I just, I thought I'd throw it on. It's, it's, uh, it's fresh as the kids say, even though it's Andy Van Slyke, five years old. It is fresh and very hip. You know, Chris, yes. he's always up in the know. What's up, Scott? I heard you had a wild head to head point salary cap draft. How are you feeling? I mean, Chris was in it with me. It was wild. <laughs> it, was it was wild. wild. It was a weird dream. <laughs> uh, you, you, you realize how. Nothing, nothing makes it clear how in demand starting pitcher is than when you do a salary draft like that. What we used to call an auction, a salary draft um, for a head-to-head points league, especially like it was. Pitchers were their own tier, basically above all hitters. <laughs> like every pitcher who was good went for more than every hitter that was good. I, I actually got a good deal, Luis Castillo for forty-two dollars. That was a good deal for that range of pitcher. <laughs> Uh, Bo Bichette I got for $20. So that's that's some idea of how, the way this, this salary cap draft went. And people will be able to find the results on the website? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I, I, I don't know how applicable they'll be for your <laughs> individual circumstances, but they'll be there. You they, can you can gawk yeah, I mean, them. The top three starting pitchers all went for 60, right? Uh, no, Bieber went for 56. He was the okay, first so nominated. Was and I was like, I can do better than that. <laughs> oh, I can only get 56. 55. You know. <laughs> no. Nope. That is, uh, that is wild. You, so you can find those results over at cbsports.com. And speaking of wild, Chris had that bizarro Tout Wars draft that we mentioned on yesterday's podcast. And honestly, Chris, if your team was crap, 
I I think I would tell you. Maybe not. Maybe I would sugarcoat it. But I Scott actually, would. I actually, Scott would tell me. <laughs> I, I really liked how it turned out for you. So remind the people of the rules in this draft that you had today. A, an expert analyst draft. Tout Wars, 12 teams. Um, and who you drafted. Yeah, it was a 5x5 five five, uh, Roto League with... Home runs, RBI, runs, stolen bases, and on-base percentage instead of average. So pretty standard. We play a lot of those. Where, where it gets interesting is on the pitching side where we've got ERA, whip, strikeouts, and then innings pitched replace wins and saves plus holds instead of saves. Um, it is, I think, both. I think it had a more drastic impact on how I approached relief pitcher, but there were some impacts on how I... Uh, on how I approach starting pitcher as well. Who did you get in this draft? Yeah, so my... And and I, I think the first place that you can see how the innings pitched category really changed my thinking was I had the number 10 overall pick. That's a spot I love because, you know, I, I usually you can get Jose Ramirez, Christian Yelich, or one of the three big pitchers. And in this case, I was choosing between Jose Ramirez and uh, Shane Bieber. In my normal... Roto rankings. I do have Jose Ramirez higher, but because of the innings pitched being its own separate category, Shane Bieber obviously being second in innings pitched over the last two seasons, I was willing to go with him. So he was my number one overall pick. And then after that, it was Freddie Freeman, Alex Bregman, and Aaron Judge with my next three picks. Judge, you know, in a normal league, 39th overall would be a bit of a reach, but I think in an on base percentage league, it's, uh, it's great. Freeman, Bregman, and Judge. That's a that's just it's hard to beat a a start like that for an offense, especially when you've got one of the best pitchers it, in it, the game it, on the board. This is a twelve team league, right? Twelve team league. Yeah. yeah, I don't think many of the Tout Wars leagues are twelve teams. It, it, not many of the mixed Tout Wars leagues are yeah. twelve teamers. So that that does make a difference too. What did, what kind of pitchers did you end up with other than Bieber? Yeah. So. Um, Shane Bieber, Zach Greinke, again, I think the innings pitch does give him a little boost, but I also just like him quite a bit. Corbin Burns, Ian Anderson, pretty on brand. I waited a little while, got Armand Marquez, who, again, I think the innings pitched format helps him. Mm -hmm. uh, Jose Arquiti, Trevor Rosenthal, Tyler Malley, Amir Garrett, who was my 22nd round pick. I loved that one. Yeah. And, um, AJ Puck, Luis Severino, and Seth Lugo. So, you know, you can see the, the impact that it had, especially on relief pitcher. I didn't take one until the 17th round with Trevor Rosenthal. I think that's a, a great value. Yeah. I mean, the um, relievers you got, I love the value of both. Rosenthal, yeah, Amir Garrett, Garrett in 20 the 22nd. Second. And even Seth Lugo. I mean, he was bad in 2020, but in a, in a saves plus holds league, you know, we're, we're talking about a guy who had a, a sub three ERA and 100 plus strikeouts in 2018 and 2019. So, you know, I think the biggest thing with my approach in this draft was I, I had to keep telling myself, just don't take relievers. Just don't worry about it because we talked about it in the relief pitcher preview. Safe plus holds flattens the relief pitcher position. It makes it so that you just you don't have to chase mediocre or bad pitchers who get saves. You can just try to target the best relievers who are there. And you can see, you know, I was able to get Amir Garrett in the 22nd. We don't know if he's going to be the closer. We know he's going to get holds, though. You know, even if he doesn't get saved. Right. right. Um, and, you know, Seth Lugo, another guy who I think is a really good uh, relief pitcher. So, you know, I, I would probably prefer to have more than three 
relief pitchers, ideally. And moving forward, I, I think that will be part of my strategy in building the team in season. But um, I'm I'm pretty happy with how the team came out. Uh, and I, I think even the pitching staff for you know someone who doesn't invest much in pitching, I think it's pretty good. What was it the standard roto lineup? Two catchers, corner infield, middle yeah. infield, live outfielder. Mm-hmm. So who are who who are a few other hitter like? Who do, you, who do you have for stolen bases? Yeah, so stolen bases, I, you know, obviously with Freeman, Bregman, and Judge, there wasn't, you know, much between that group. So it's Javier Baez, uh, Byron Buxton in the 11th round, Ramon Laureano in the 12th round, Aaron Hicks in the 14th round. I think he's another guy who benefits from an OBP format. Mm-hmm. Um, Colton Wong, another guy I think actually is a pretty good OBP league guy. I think he was like 360 or something last season. Um, Nick Senzel should steal some bases. So the one thing with the stolen base guys, I would rather have more high-end st- uh, stolen base guys. Yeah, I don't yeah. usually love relying on the 15 to 20 steal guys. Right. I, I don't think it's bad, though, what you wound up with. I, I think yeah. this is a pretty good group that you wound up with. It, it just all around, I thought the OBP was great, too. Freeman... Altuve doesn't walk all that much, but I think his batting average bounces back and, you know, yeah. in turn, the OBP should be better. Bregman, to get Bregman and Judge at the 3-4 turn of an OBP yeah. league, that's just, that's stellar in my opinion. So I I really like how that turned out. Scott, fire up the Scott, the Scottometer. Uh-huh. I don't know. I just made it right now. Uh-huh. The pitching staff. Four of your top 34. I just looked it up. That's not, okay. that's not bad. Not five. But it's, it's not, four. It's not five. <laughs> One to ten. Yeah, I, Where does it rank I, on the Scottometer? Uh, I'll, I'll give that pitching staff a seven point five. That's not 10. bad. That's not bad. Yeah, I, I, I wish you had a, one more high-end arm, but I, I mean, I, I understand getting the hitters you did in rounds three, four, and five, or two, three, and four. Um, who was the second round hitter again? Freddie Freeman. And then Bre- yeah, yeah, and then Bregman in the third, which you know I love. Judge in the fourth, okay, yeah. I mean, it sounds like your team should be competitive. I think we should make a pact right here. All three of us win our Tout Wars League this year. CBS <laughs> dominance. Do yeah, uh, let's let's do it. I'm gonna need some help. That'd be a great look for the FBT brand. That would be <laughs> that would be. Fire. If that happens, I'm printing up jackets like this for everyone. Okay, yeah. well that's all I needed to hear. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start my prep. Right now, well, my my whole, you know, basically since October, all I've been doing is prepping. So uh, if, I, if I'm not ready this year, I never will be. Today on the show, outside of this, we are going to hit some spring training. Uh, and of course, we're going to recap some of our position previews that we did as well. But let's let's just talk a little bit about what matters in spring training. Because started this past weekend, and I think for most people, they're going to say spring training does not matter at all, really. And I think for the most part, with the bigger name players, I don't think it matters very much. But for players, you know, position battles and some of those fringier pitchers that are trying new things and and they have new pitches and velocity is up, I think there are things that actually do matter. So I don't don't want to downplay spring training too much. Scott, what do you think about spring training in general? What matters and what are you paying attention to? So the numbers don't really matter. Maybe to the small degree that it might affect people in competition for roles, but I, I don't I don't think teams base those decisions strictly on spring performance either. I think it would be silly for them too, and I think most are smarter than that at this point. Uh, so, you know, what matters is the story behind the numbers. Um, if a pitcher's getting bombed and his velocity's down three miles per hour, well, that matters. 
That matters to me. Um, if uh, if a hitter's going off and he talks about some swing adjustments he made in the offseason, that matters too. So, you know, more than the box scores, I'm, I'm looking at recaps uh, for, for these little nuggets. And like I... At twice a week, basically, throughout the spring. I'm going to put out a Spring Notebooks article where, um, you know, I go and aggregate that stuff for you. So you don't have to go looking through them yourself. You can just rely on my article. I think I'll have all the big stuff worth mentioning in there. Um, but that's the kind of stuff I'm looking for. I'm looking for uh, changes to routine, changes to mechanics, changes in pitch selection, changes in velocity, Um and then, of course, if 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 it turns out a job's more up for grabs than it seemed going into spring training, then that matters to me too. Chris, how about for you? I'm going to use Shane Bieber as an example, considering you just drafted him. But when he allows four runs over 1.2 innings in his first start, I'm guessing we shouldn't freak out over that. No, not at all. <laughs> um, God, there's there's one pitcher I'm trying to think of. I mean, Zach Reinke famously just like is never right in spring training and we always freak out and then he comes out in April and he's awesome. Um, <laughs> I, there's, Every year. I'm, I'm trying to think. is It's someone like Adam Wainwright or one of those guys who's been around for a long time who's just always dreadful in the spring. Um, I, I feel like Bumgarner was, but now Bumgarner actually is dreadful. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it was someone like that and it's just like, a lot of the times you're just trying to get work in. Yeah. And um, so I, in the past, the last couple of years, I've done a story on the website, uh, what matters in spring training. And it's very different from what Scott does because I take what Scott does and then I find what matters from there. <laughs> he, um, he aggregates it for aggreg- <laughs> Who aggregates the aggregators? Um <laughs> But, you know, I break it down into categories. Your job sounds easier. The, well, you know, (laughs) the, um, the categories that I break it down into are injuries, self-explanatory lineup news. Don't freak out right now because a lot of teams aren't even playing with their full squads right now. It doesn't matter where guys are batting, but if we get to the end of the, the spring and, Trent Grisham is consistently leading off for the Padres. That probably matters. Um, Position battles, mechanical changes for hitters and pitchers, uh, velocity readings and new pitches, and prospects who are gaining hype. And so that latter category, Pete Alonso would be a great example of Mm -hmm. of a prospect who really became a much more obvious fantasy option as spring went on. And, you know, two it, years it, early, two yeah. years ago. And, and early yeah. on, Andrew Vaughn sounds like that guy right yep. now. Oh. Uh, Jose Abreu was... Oh. Jose Abreu was basically demanding that he be on the Major League roster uh, during uh, today's media session. And, you know, it, it sounds like that's the kind of thing where it's not so much like we know Andrew Vaughn's good. He was the number four overall pick in the draft. He's a first Great. baseman who's a Number three. Number three, even better. That's 25% better. Um, <laughs> and we know like he's a first baseman who's a top prospect. He's a really good hitter. Uh, it's more about him gaining hype to earn that spot in the everyday line. Um, so those are the things that I look for that matter in spring training. I will point out to you specifically, Chris, because you brought up Trent Grisham. He has let off twice. Right. I, that's lefties. why I said it doesn't matter. 
Oh no! Come on, Chris. I yeah. Mean, of course. Off it twice against a left-hander, Franks. Against a lefty, both times okay. were against a lefty. That that matters. Wow. That matters. Now, I mean, I don't think he was good. What what number were the lefties wearing? I I I could. If it was this. a number below fifty, I don't even care. <laughs> Let's talk about Andrew Vaughn, though. I want to I want to hit some of these uh, standouts. And Scott, you made the comp to Pete Alonso a couple of weeks ago. Chris, you just made it as well. And aggregating the aggregator. <laughs> and I, I easiest job in the world. I think it is a really similar situation because I remember that spring training in 2018 where we didn't know if Pete Alonso was going to start with with the Mets on the opening day roster or if he was going to, you know, they were going to keep him down for two weeks while he works on his defense in the minors or whatever it might be. <laughs> Andrew Vaughn hit a three-run home run off of a rookie pitcher, Kohei, Kohei Arihara, but he's now played two games and he hit cleanup in both of them. The NFBC ADP for Vaughn, Andrew Vaughn, with the White Sox, back in January was 327. Over the last two weeks, it's 280. And I think it's only going to keep climbing, Scott. There's no one else who can be their DH. The, 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 the other candidate is Zach Collins, who's a catcher who strikes out too much. Like Andrew Vaughn is going to be the White Sox DH. If it does, if it isn't literally on opening day, it'll be two weeks after opening day. So that's negligible. Uh, he's he's someone at his current cost that I feel like I have to get. I am disappointed that I haven't gotten him yet in any draft I've done. <laughs> I, I got him to tonight. That. Yeah, nice. you did. Yeah, you did in that crazy auction uh, salary draft. I had um, to make sure I got that extra dollar in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I need to start doing more of that because I wound up with a lot of Pete Alonso two years ago. No guarantee Vaughn hits 53 home runs. I would, I would guess take not. the under. <laughs> I would take the under. But he could hit 35 home runs. I think that's within the realm of possibility with, uh, you know, a solid batting average and a great OBP. Like he could be, he could be, he could be a top five first baseman at this time next year. So uh, absolutely. He's the top is he the top rookie to target? I guess not when you got like Ian Anderson still qualifying as a rookie, yep. Randy Arozarena. Yeah. Right. But the guy who, of the rookies who haven't debuted yet, Vaughn is the top one to target. Look into your crystal ball, Scott, and tell us how high do you think he climbs? Do you think he gets inside the top 200? Yeah, probably. He probably does by the end. Yeah. And, and it's probably still be worth it there. Yeah, I want to. Yeah. I'll quickly pull up the ADP entering the 2019 season to see where P. Alonso is being I think Alonso was like 150-ish. According to the NFBC, back in 2019, 224 was the ADP. Yeah, I think he got up to like 150 in in the end. And obviously, uh, an amazing value. Yeah, Yeah. so top 200 player, to put that in perspective, it would be a 17th rounder in a 12-team league and a... 15th rounder in a 15 team league or 14th rounder in a 15 team league. So yeah, I, I would say Vaughn would still be worth it if he climbs that high. I tend to agree. I'm getting very excited about Andrew Vaughn. Don't want to overreact too much, but I think this is one of those situations where you can, you, you can do it. Uh, Marcus Stroman. I don't think this matters too much, but I did just want to highlight six up, six down on Tuesday in his debut. He didn't pitch last season in 2020. He opted out of the season but he had two strikeouts and he did some fun things with his timing that were Johnny Cueto-esque where he was stalling on the mound. He was changing up how quick he was pitching and, and all this kind of stuff. And he debuted a new split changeup that Pitching Ninja highlighted. So, Scott, uh, Chris, I'll go to you this time. Are you more excited about Stroman when, when you see stuff like this that he's never really done before? 
Not necessarily. I, I think Stroman is, you know, kind of who he is. He's pitched quite a bit in the major leagues. It's it's not like he's an unknown quantity. I do wonder, you know, maybe, um, you know, he's only pitched in the National League for what six, like eight weeks, something like that. He was a uh, trade deadline acquisition in 2019. He didn't pitch in 2020. I wonder if maybe a year away, hitters do better the more they see pitchers. Um, and so, you know, maybe that helps him play up a little bit. But I, I think, you know, you pretty much know what you're getting with him. It's a lot of ground balls, high-ish whip, but should be a mid to high threes ERA. Um, you know, I, I think he's probably a pretty good value right now. Miles Straw. So, go ahead, Scott. Let me give you an example of a pitcher development that I do think is a big deal. And I think we mentioned it on the podcast a few days ago, but Chris Paddock, what's going on with him, mm. uh, where he um, <laughs> dove into dove into the data this offseason uh, with the help of the, um, the Padres staff and, and realized that the spin rate on his fastball was way down last year and uh, made some mechanical adjustments to get it back up. Uh, so he could, you know, and, and more spin on the fastball means that that's how you get that rising effect. It makes it a better swing and miss pitch. And uh, that could be transformative for him, uh, help him get back to 2019 production. So that's that's the kind of thing I love to hear. And, and Chris Paddock did have a very strong first outing. Yeah, Chris Paddock, the ADP right now, according to Fantasy Pros, is 104.4. And I've been talking him up pretty much all offseason season. I think the fastball can easily get back on track. I saw this tweet from AJ Casavell, who covers the Padres for MLB.com. He said, good fastball, good change, as usual, and mixed in a really nice curve to start his last hitter, too. That was regarding Chris Paddock. So if we can get anything from the curveball, that would be awesome. Miles Straw, I did just want to mention, he has let off in two of three games for the Astros. He stole a base on Tuesday, and he sure seems like the guy in center field. So extremely cheap speed coming from yeah. Miles Straw. I mean, this guy, it would not surprise me if he remains the starting center fielder, he could steal 30 bases. He stole 70 one year in the minor Straw did, and he's not a power source, so you'd think they'd want to utilize that skill as, as much as, as possible. Uh, he got on base a ton in the minors, too. Now, Chris has pointed out that if there isn't that power, if, if, it's, if a player is not a power threat, um, pitchers aren't scared of him, and, and maybe... Maybe he'll just get blown away in the majors. Miles Straw, his his career stats so far aren't great, um, but I know they've been putting in some work on a swing plane. I don't exactly know all the details to that, but it it sounds like they're genuinely excited about Miles Straw. Dusty Baker wants him to hit leadoff, so I I think as a fifth outfielder, really late round pick, I I think he's I think he's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, the 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 comp I would make there is Billy Hamilton, who. Uh, was a decent hitter in the minors, 280 batting average, 351 on base, um, you know, 241 on average, 296 on base in the majors. He he was an example of that kind of guy where once pitchers realized that there really wasn't much he could do to make to hurt them by pitching in the zone, it, it really made it hard for him to uh, to draw walks. So that's. That's the path. I, you know, obviously, I, I like Nick Madrigal, who's a, who's got a similar profile. So, um, you know, it, it could it could work out. Willie Castro, who projects to be the starting shortstop for the Detroit Tigers, is three for five with two home runs thus far and has been hitting in the middle of the Tigers lineup. 
I know one of those home runs was 453 feet too. I mean, he killed it. And my biggest issue with Castro, as good as his numbers were late last year, was uh, the hard hit rate, exit velocity didn't really match up with how good his numbers were. Is it, if he's hitting 40, 450 foot home runs, I mean, geez, I, clearly he knows how to hit the ball hard. Yeah. That is a name to to pay attention to. Maybe some cheap power and as a middle infielder in uh, in deeper formats. You know, if you play in a twelve team points league, probably not with Willie Castro, but uh, in, in deeper leagues with a middle infielder, pay attention to that name. Remember this name. He's gaining some hype. One of the Red Sox top prospects, Jaron Duran, who smashed a home run on Tuesday. I was watching the game. It was on ESPN. Wanted to see my boy Wander Franco, who didn't really do much, but that doesn't matter. Um, this kid, Jaron Duran, he is jacked up and on top of that he is fast he's he's pretty fast 47 steals between high a and double a ball in 2019 and chris it's not like the red sox outfield is great so i don't know if he breaks camp with team um you know he hasn't played above double a ball yet but he's a name that at least is on my radar now jaron duran yeah there there's some interesting things going on in his minor league profile um you know, he had a in in 2018. He hit 357 with a 910 OPS. It was only 67 games. But then the following year, he stole 46 bases. Uh, the power has not been there for him. He's hit eight home runs in 199 games, and and that's kind of the the question. You know, I, is he is he a big dude? Well, you know, there's there's lots of guys with muscles in Major League Baseball. Not all of them can hit home runs, and so you know the fact that he hasn't done that in games. Uh, I think is reason to be pretty skeptical, but the stolen base potential by itself makes him worth drafting. If it does look like he's going to get an opportunity to, uh, you know, crack the the everyday lineup. Francis Cordero is never healthy for long, so it's <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's possible. And he is Francis Cordero is dealing with COVID nineteen right now as well. Again. The name we were talking about before, Jaron Duran, a former seventh-round pick for the Boston Red Sox back in 2018. Gary Sanchez hit a mammoth home run on Monday, and watching that game, he seems lean. I was paying attention to his batting stance from the side view. It seems like his feet were closer together, so I kept both hands on the bat. thought that was interesting as well. Just thought I'd bring yeah. it up, Gary Sanchez. Yeah. Well, and that's, a good, and that's another good thing to look out for this spring is the players who uncharacteristically just bottomed out last year in a weird season where they didn't have their usual preparation. They didn't have their usual resources available in games, specifically with video. I was reading about Javier Baez. He was another player who, um, who thinks that was a big issue for him last year. Like if they look right this spring, Sanchez being an example, Josh Bell, uh, uh, Mitch Garver, Baez, of course, JD Martinez. And I'm sure there are a lot of pitching examples to Patrick Corbin. I don't think he's thrown yet. Um, but that's that's obviously something to take note of as well because you could see you could see if we're able to shed those fears for them you could see their value go way up. Look, he's only struck out once so far in three <laughs> three at bats, so uh, you know, it could be worse. Last name I wanted to just mention Merrill Kelly. We have not talked about him at all this entire offseason. He had thoracic outlet surgery late last year. Um, and he made his debut on Monday. Two innings pitched, two earned, but five strikeouts. And he was really good last season. I, I don't, I don't know that he's going to be as good as he was. But I'll just, you know, someone coming back from thoracic to look that good. 
I, I, I will pay attention. He's free. Merrill Kelly doesn't cost anything. Let's uh, quickly hit on some news and notes before we recap our position previews that we did. According to Jeff Passan of ESPN, MLB teams will operate alternate sites similar to those used during the pandemic-shortened 2020 season, delaying the beginning of the AAA season by at least a month. AAA, the highest level of minor league baseball, was scheduled to begin April 6th. Games will be pushed back, sources said, to around the same time as AA, High A, and Low A are expected to start, which is the first week of May. The reason they are doing this is the proximity to teams' home stadiums uh, and easier oversight of testing and coronavirus protocols. Scott, does this affect anything? Well, um, I mean, we won't have stats for, for players in the minors, which will be an alternate training site to start out again. Hopefully the media will be allowed in this time. I would assume so. Yeah. Yeah, probably. And and so we could at least glean something from what's going on at those alternate training sites. <laughs> but other than the takeaway that it'll make my job harder, I don't have, <laughs> I don't have much. Uh, Cole Calhoun is out with a torn meniscus and is likely to miss four to six weeks, maybe even longer. Chris, does anyone benefit from this? How about Big Tim LeCastro? 26 deals in 145 career games. Uh, I think the assumption was that Tim LeCastro was more likely to be the starting center fielder for them. So it it's possible that the the winner might be Dalton Varsho, who could yeah. get an opportunity. Uh, Catcher-eligible player who we don't expect to play too much catcher. Um you know, he could be someone who gets a chance at the start of the season. And all you need is a chance. You know, if you've got the ability to play catcher and the outfield like Dalton Varsho does, you know, that flexibility, you know, if he hits, he probably sticks around. I was kind of operating under the assumption that it was less likely now. Um, but, you know, with this injury, he might be on the opening day roster and he might be back in my top 15 catchers. Dalton Varsho hit very poorly in his debut last season, just 37 games, but he hit 188 with a 653 OPS. The last time he played in the minor leagues, double A ball back in 2019 for Dalton Varsho, a 301 batting average, 18 home runs, 21 steals with an 899 OPS as a catcher outfield hybrid. So definitely interesting but, in, in, in at least roto leagues, two catcher leagues. I, but I also don't want to just like, completely skim over Tim LaCastro. You know, I, I'm I'm not sure he's a great hitter, but anybody who can steal bases has value in today's format and in, in today's landscape. And if, you know, he plays somewhat every day and can be a 25 stolen base guy, he's going to be worth starting in a Roto League. And I don't want to gloss over this fact for Cole Calhoun either, who is a little bit older at this point. It seems like we know who he is. He's 33 years old, but he had 16 home runs in 54 games last year. He hit 226. His expected batting average was 264. So I was actually buying Cole Calhoun in some deeper roto leagues as, as someone that could just help you with pop. So it hurts a little bit, but it seems like he should be back the latest, you know, late April, uh, maybe even early May if it uh, if it lasts that long. The other news items will qu- quickly wrap up here. Brandon Woodruff was scratched from his start Monday with back stiffness. He threw a successful bullpen on Tuesday and should pitch in a game by Thursday. Nick Castellanos was scratched Tuesday with a sore finger. Please be okay, Nick Castellanos. We love you. It was a sore middle finger. I just want to point that out because that 
injury is never not amusing to me. Ayo. I don't know what you're referring to, Scott. Can you show me? Yeah. <laughs> show show all the people on uh, on video. Your kids don't watch this, right, Scott? Uh, no. <laughs> I, thought, I heard my nephew was watching it the other day now. He's, oh. He's nine. Shout out to the White family. Hello. It's not his name, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Shout out anyway, whatever his name is. <laughs> um, all right. Before we uh, hit a quick break, I just want to promote, if you haven't checked it out yet, we have a new podcast, Fantasy Baseball Today in 5. It's basically the Sparknotes version of this podcast. Join Scott or Chris and me every weekday morning as we get you caught up on everything you need to know in the fantasy baseball fantasy baseball world in just five minutes. You can listen on Spotify and anywhere else you find your podcast. Thank you to everybody watching live on YouTube and Twitch right now. Smash that like button if you are watching on YouTube. And please subscribe if you haven't yet. Hit that little alarm bell to get notifications whenever we go live. That's, I, I like to say around 10, 15 p.m. Eastern time, Sunday through Thursday, Ish. but probably start a little bit later than that. That's youtube.com slash fantasy baseball today. And also join our Facebook group, which is En Fuego this time of year. Lots of great, great questions and discussion points. I ask a lot of questions about what you guys want to hear on the podcast as well. If you're looking for a league to join or if you need some people to join your league, there are a lot of people looking they are out there. They want to join leagues. Facebook.com slash groups slash fantasy baseball today to join in on the fun. If you're watching on the video side, don't go anywhere. If you're listening to the podcast, we're going to take a quick break. But when we return, position preview recap here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. We haven't talked about catchers in like three weeks, so let's just start there with catcher position, which is typically not a great one. It's it's JT Real Muto and, and everyone else. We'll start with you, Chris. Chris for catcher. C, catchers. Two catcher leagues versus one catcher leagues. What is your strategy there? Uh, it doesn't change too much. Um, I'm I'm still most likely to wait in either format. I, I think that's the approach that I prefer because there are guys who typically go past you know 150 or later, like Christian Vasquez or um, you know Buster Posey, Mitch Garver, a few other guys who. I like, I, I don't think, I think JT Realmuto is the only difference maker at the position. I think Will Smith is kind of the only guy who could get there. Uh, otherwise, I'm not really buying Salvador Perez's breakout. So um, yeah, that's that's my approach. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much inclined to wait a catcher forever or till the last round, the last two rounds, if it's a two catcher league. I, I have drafted Salvador Perez a few times because I find in the expert leagues, he tends to go like 30 spots lower than his ADP. And, you know, he's, I, I feel like he's the safest bet for home runs and RBI at the position, even if he hit maybe a hundred points higher than he should have last year. Um, I like drafting Mitch Garver for the upside because he goes very late and, uh, I, I think he's somebody who could compete for the top spot at the position too. Well, Scott, my next question was going to be, who is your favorite top 12 catcher to draft? Is it 
Uh, Mitch it, Garver is is Garver technically in the top twelve? I think he's right. I think he's right there. He's right on the border. He is. Uh, he's thirteen. He, he yeah, he would be the one. Okay, Chris, your favorite? Tried- uh, Will Smith. If I can get him, you know, after one hundredth overall. Uh, if not, I really like Christian Vasquez. I, I think he's a one of the best bets for batting average at the position, and I don't think he's a zero for power. And he actually. He steals like four or five bases every year, it seems like. Um, so I think Christian Vasquez is kind of really underrated, actually. I believe Christian Vasquez has 19 steals since the start of 2017. Yeah, 19 since seven, 2017. That's probably like third at the position. That's, that's tied for second. So good call there. He's had at least four steals in four straight seasons. That is Christian Vasquez. And for me, it's Gary Sanchez. It has nothing to do with him hitting a home run in spring training. I talked about oh it. Oh, my goodness. Goodness gracious. Wait, well, you queued me up. Here we go. Oh, my good, goodness gracious. Uh, by the way, email us in fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Let me know what you think about oh, my goodness gracious. In all seriousness, some people I asked on Facebook, some people hate it. And the ones who don't hate it, they absolutely love it. So it, it seems to be very polarizing. I don't want to do something that exactly. the people... Exactly. Yeah, uh, I don't want to do something that the people hate on the podcast, so I don't know. Let me know how you feel about it, but uh, I do like Gary Sanchez. I think the hate has gone a little bit too far. One season removed from a 34 home run, 841 OPS season for Gary Sanchez. First base strategy. Overall, the position isn't as strong as it once was, but it has a few studs up top, and it's actually surprisingly deep. So, Scott, what's your strategy for first base? It's deep among players who are usable. It's not really deep in difference makers. My strategy at first base, especially in, in a roto or categories league, is is draft Matt Olson because I feel like he's basically Pete Alonso, but uh, three or four rounds later. Uh, great value at the position. Um, you know, obviously there are times where if, if I'm in the right spot to land Freddie Freeman, obviously I'll fill first base that way. I've seen drafts where like Jose Abreu or Luke Voigt fall and then it's like, well, you know, if I get Luke Voigt in round six, I obviously don't need to take Matt Olson. Um, in a points league, I might wait even longer. I might wait for like Carlos Santana or Reese Hoskins who are standouts in that format because of how much they walk. But, you know, there are, there are a lot of redundancies at first base and I, I generally don't want to pay up for those. Chris, you have this smug, I want to tell Scott. I don't think it's smug. It's not <laughs> smug. It's it's disapproving of, oh, man. of Matt Olson. if you want to tell what the What did people. I do? I, I think Matt Olson's a two-and-a-half category player, and the, the two categories are the two easiest to find in baseball right now. I How, like, how many categories are you giving Pete Alonzo? Well, we've seen Pete Alonzo be much better at all of the categories than Matt Olson. I think batting average, probably not there. I think they've both peaked at like 265. Um, but yeah, okay. I just... I see them both as 40 homer guys. I know technically Alonzo's done more, and I think Olson's peaked at 40 at 36 in a year where he missed some time with injury. But I, I think they're both basically 40 homer guys. My thing with Matt Olson, and it's not like you can get a better first baseman later, it's more that the profile just isn't particularly enticing to me at this point. Like, I don't see much difference between him and Jorge Soler, who's going 60 picks later. I don't... Well, one plays first base. Right, that's the only... Right, right. That's why, I mean, <laughs> like, it's not first base necessarily, but just in terms of the production you're going to get. 
I think you're going to get similar production from Miguel Sano and Joey Gallo. I know they're less sure things for batting average, but we just watched Matt Olson hit under 200. Um, if if Joey Gallo qualified at first base, I'd probably view him similarly to Olson. Yeah, I am extremely confident that Matt Olson will hit at least 240 this season. I don't know if that's a good thing, but I, I can tell you for certain he will not bat under 200 again. I think yeah. he'll bounce back there. Pete Alonso, if you just compare their last 162 games each, Alonso, 248, 50 home runs, 100 runs scored, 112 RBI. Matt Olson's last 162, 250, slightly better batting average, 43 home runs, a little bit less there, 87 runs, 13 fewer, and 121 RBI. So actually nine more RBI for Matt Olson. Second base strategy. I think the position is pretty bad. It's very bad. Only three second basemen are being drafted inside the first five rounds, inside the first 60 picks, according to fantasy pros of 12-team leagues. And I will add that I think it's deep with category specialists, you know, guys that can help you in, in middle infield, but just starting caliber difference makers, I don't feel very good about second base. Chris, what is your strategy when it comes to this position? Uh, it's probably draft Keston Hira. Uh, if it's not him, it's probably draft Catel Marte. I, I, I think there's a drop off after the first 11. And so I want someone through Mike Moustakis in my rankings. Um, but yeah, it's, it's usually draft either Hira or Marte. Scott, your strategy at second base and your favorite one to target. I would, I do like the idea of drafting DJ LeMahieu. It's just, if Corey Seager's still there, I'm going to take Corey Seager instead. And, and it's, it's, it's rare that you, you could then get LeMahieu on the way back. Um, so if, if steals are a priority in the round five range and Whit Merrifield is there, you know, I'm probably looking at him. Cattell Marte and Keston here are both part of a big tier for me, that includes guys like Max Muncy. I would say Max Muncy's probably the second baseman I draft most often because 30 to 35 homers, a lot of runs, a lot of RBI. You know, you're going to need to get batting average and steals elsewhere, but that's really good production for a second baseman for not that expensive. It's not the end of the world if I missed out, miss out on that tier, though, especially in categories leagues, roto leagues, where stolen bases are obviously a necessity. Dylan Moore... And especially Nick Madrigal. Madrigal goes really late. And uh, I'm okay with him as my number one second baseman in that format if, if, if I just keep getting burned. The ADP for Nick Madrigal is 213 according to Fantasy Pros. Give me all the Jose Altuve. I love the price on Altuve this season. The ADP is 92.4 yeah. for Altuve. Honestly, just give me all the Astros because they are being disrespected. Let's get some trash cans back out there in Houston. Whatever you got to do, we'll bounce back. We'll make it work. Uh, Chris, give me a sleeper at the second base position. Sleeper at the second base position. It's probably magical for me. He's probably my favorite there. Although I think someone like Gene Segura has a lot of value. Um, you know, if you just punt the, the position entirely and wait until like 200th overall, um, you know, he'll be, moderately helpful across the board. Gene Segura, a little bit older now, but the projection systems actually still like him over on Fangraphs. Mm -hmm. So something I noticed there with Gene Segura. Third base strategy. There are potentially seven elite options up at the top, starting with Jose Ramirez, who goes in the first round, and 
ending with Rafael Devers or Nolan Arenado, which typically you see go in the fourth round of 12-team leagues. There are some solid options later on as well. So, who did I start with last time? Chris. I'll start with Scott. Scott, your strategy when it comes to third base. Yeah, I usually get a high-end guy specifically because I love the value of Bregman and Rendon this year. It's very likely you'll get one or the other in round four. And I think they're... I think at worst they're going to give you like second round production, and and we've both and we've seen both deliver first round type production before too, uh, so that's 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 usually pretty easy to accomplish getting one of those guys in round four. Um, if it doesn't work out, there are a lot of fallback options. Like a lot of guys really underachieved at this position last year, so it's hard to pinpoint. You know, they're not all going to bounce back, uh, so it's it, you know, it's hard to play. It's hard to pick out a favorite among them, like if Matt Chapman or um, Yohan Moncada, Chris Bryant. It's a very big tier. I usually, if I if I if I miss out on a stud third baseman in round four, I I usually I usually get Brian Hayes. Honestly, I usually get Brian Hayes in like round fifteen or sixteen, maybe as early as round fourteen, and uh, I think he's going to be I think he's going to be at least good and potentially great. Potentially potentially a five category contributor with like 12 to 15 steals, safe bet for batting average and we'll see what happens with the power. I think we probably podcast together too much Scott because I have written down as my strategy here, try to get one of those top 7 if I miss out, get one of Cabrian Hayes or Gio Urshela. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Gio Urshela I'd be fine with two, but I'm I'm more excited about Hayes. I think the upside's definitely higher with Hayes. Uh, Chris, your strategy at third base and your favorite player to draft at the position. Yeah, um, my strategy is probably to try to get one of those top six. I, I don't include Arenado in that. I have Arenado closer to Yohan Mancata and Eugenio Suarez, so about 30 to 40 picks after the Alex Bregman, Anthony Rendon group. Um, my favorite player, I guess I can't say Jose Ramirez. Because uh, that's cheating. He's the number one player at the position. So <laughs> you I'll go always do that. <laughs> all the way down. Well, in his in that case, uh, you know, he is like a key part of my overall strategy. Yeah, like you're, when higher, I get you're pick, higher on him than most yeah, people. When I get you're, to pick my yeah. spot in the first round, Jose Ramirez is usually the guy where I'm like, if I pick tenth and I can get him, I'm really happy with what that result. Because you would take him over Yelich and Story, right? Yes, Jose Ramirez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's neck and neck with Fernando Tatis in, in my salary values. Um, I, I'll go way down the rankings and say Rafael Devers. I think he basically had, what, one bad three-week stretch to start last season and then was the normal version of himself. Um, I, I don't really have many concerns about him. I have brought up this stat when it comes to Rafael Devers as well. He is, I think, a slow starter. Uh, at least he has been the past two seasons. In 2019, he did not hit his first home run until May 3rd. He hit all 32 of his home runs in his final 124 games. Last year, his first 22 games, he hit just two home runs while batting 207. His final 35 games, 297 batting average with nine home runs for Rafael Devers. Chris, uh, Chris I will just ask you this. I got Nolan Arenado in the fourth round of a 15-team league today at pick 59. Is that enough of a discount? Because I felt really good to get him there, even in St. Louis. Pick 59? Yeah. 
Seems good. That's fine. And I don't want to make it seem like I'm completely out on Nolan Arenado. I have him as a top 70 player. I just, he's another guy who I think the, the profile doesn't match the name value. Um, you know, I think he's probably going to be good for like a 270 average and 30 something home runs. Uh, so I, I'm fine with him at, at 60. That's, I don't view that as a problem at all. Um, I just like, I don't think there's much difference at all between him and Eugenio Suarez. Suarez might be better. Let's move on to shortstop. And I feel confident saying that this is the best position in fantasy baseball. It is filled with an awesome group of 13 players, which ends with Dansby Swanson and Carlos Correa in ADP. Yes, it falls off quite a bit after that, but you put it side by side with any other position, you will be hard pressed to find a better group of 13 players there. So Chris, we'll start with you this time. Your strategy at shortstop. It's awesome. It's a great position. Get get one of those 13 players. That is that's <laughs> pretty much like as well. I'm I'm thrilled if I get Dansby Swanson. I'm I'm happy if I get Carlos Correa. If I get any of the guys before that, assuming they're at the right value, uh, I'm really happy about it. There's there's only really one player who I just probably won't have any shares of this season, and that's Bo Bichette, just because I can't justify a borderline second rounder for a guy who's played 75 games. I just can't do it. Like, philosophically, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I, I'm not going to be the person who does that. Uh, Chris, were you one of those guys saying that about Fernando Tatis last year, too? Yeah, I think the the difference would be Fernando Tatis was younger when he made it to the majors, and uh, the tools were louder. The, that's the thing about Bichette is like he's got this awesome production profile so far, and then you look at the underlying skills, and it's like he's kind of like a B plus across the board. Like he's not super fast, but he's fast. He hits the ball pretty hard, but not super hard. Um, whereas like yeah. Tatis you know, had this really high barrel rate as a rookie, uh, had this elite sprint speed. Um, you know, I think Boba Shett is, he, he's kind of the guy who needs to maximize his tools. And it's, it's hard to do that all the time. Plus, and I don't want to take us too far off track, but I don't think skipping Tatis in the second round last year, I don't think that was bad process. I mean, sometimes that guy is going to take the next step forward and be worth it. Sometimes he's not. And then, then you didn't invest the pick very wisely. So, you know, it's kind of like that Nick Pavetta, Shane Bieber thing we talked about in SP preview three, where, you know, you can have the right process and say, well, the peripherals tell you this. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes it really does. Process over results. The age old. What would you call that? It's not a motto adage adage in fantasy adage. Yeah, I think that makes sense. An idiom. Uh, sure, we'll go with that. Scott, your strategy at shortstop, your your favorite one to target? Well, I mean, the strategy is written for you with Tatis, Turner, and Story. You know, if you pick in the right spot in the first round, you're going to take them. Um, but my favorite thing to do with shortstop is take Corey Seager in round three, whenever he's there, because I think he might be the best hitter. He might be the best hitter in baseball. <laughs> I think he's in the discussion. And so to get him in round three... Um, that's especially if I invested in like pitcher, pitcher, I went pitcher, pitcher right away. I just, I love being able to do that. Um, there have been times when I've considered Mondesi for the steals when I've taken Tim Anderson cause he lasts around six, but probably if I don't end up with a first round shortstop or Seager in the third round, I'm probably taking whichever of 
Glaber Torres, Javier Baez, and Carlos Correa lasts to me. And, you know, ADP shows it's most likely going to be Correa. And uh, I, I think they're all... I think they're all such obvious bounce back candidates that like I'm I'm happy to bank on it. I think the skills are still intact for all of them. They're still in the prime of their career. They're going to be fine and they're being discounted unfairly. Carlos Correa, this year's Corey Seager. You heard it here first. Outfield strategy. It's hard not to love this position. Four of the top five hitters in fantasy are outfielders, arguably four of the top five hitters. And I'm confident saying that it is a deep position as well. So... Scott, your strategy in outfield, and, and how does it change in a head-to-head points league or a head-to-head categories league where those are typically three outfielders, you start three outfielders, and in a roto league where you start five of them? It actually it actually doesn't. It doesn't. I, I love the versatility of the outfield, the depth of the outfield, the fact that no matter what range you're drafting in, there's going to be somebody interesting. There's going to be somebody who can contribute to any category just because there are so many names at that position. Like it, There's just always going to be more of something. So uh, if, if I don't happen to land in the spot to take bets, Sacuna, Trout in the first round, Soto, you know, any of those obvious first round types, it's not uncommon for me to not take my first outfielder till like round nine or 10. I'm not saying I always pass up Marcelo Zuna or, uh, you know, um, you know, a steel source like, uh, like Trent Grisham. I like Nick Castellanos as a breakout. You know, sometimes I will take one of those guys, but it's, uh, it's never, it's never a priority to fill that position for me. It's always like the lowest priority. As a matter of fact, if I'm playing the, the position scarcity game. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't put a lot of emphasis on outfield. Chris, who is the outfielder that you find yourself drafting most this season? I think it's Byron Buxton, who uh, I, I don't know. He's had a lot of injury concerns and, you know, there's been the recurring shoulder issue over the last couple of seasons, but um, a lot of it's just been bad luck. It's been like a, broken wrist and a concussion and you know a lot of it's been running into walls which he him and the twins both talked about uh we're not gonna we're gonna try to not do that anymore so hopefully that will continue to be the case i think his upside's 30 homers 20 20 stolen bases frankly i think there's 30 30 upside it's more a question of whether they'll let him run that much he is i think he's fallen all the way to fifth in uh, sprint speed in Major League Baseball over the last couple of seasons. Fifth overall, not, uh, you know, 95th percentile or anything. Uh, he could be the best base stealer in baseball if he wanted to be. Again, that is Byron Buxton with the Minnesota Twins, an ADP of 119.4. I've mentioned this before, but I love drafting Austin Meadows, who was being drafted inside the top 50 picks entering last season. He was a top 15 outfielder in both formats back in 2019, and now you're getting him right around pick 100. So I think we have a potential five-category contributor, best shape of his life alert. So life alert. I'm with you, I'm with you on that one. <laughs> I I, uh, I appreciate that. And and Chris, I, I appreciate the you sticking, endorsement there. sticking to the brand there with uh, with Byron Buxton because he's, he's just a Chris Towers player. It, it makes a lot of sense. Starting I mean, pi- look, you love the tools. The tools. Starting pitcher strategy. Harder than ever before to project skills and workload, yet it's necessary to have strong pitching to win your league. One way or another, you have to wind up 
with strong pitching, whether that's you pay up in the draft, you get lucky with a few sleepers or breakouts, you trade for them in season, whatever it might be, you need pitching. So, Chris, we'll start with you this time, and, and Scott, I will give you the opportunity to uh, deliver your retort because I have a feeling it might be a little bit different. But, Chris, remind people what your strategy is when it comes to starting pitcher. Like, specifically, do you want one in the first in the first round? Do you want two in the first three rounds? What are you doing at starting pitching? starting pitcher this year I'm perfectly I, I probably want one in the first couple of rounds I'm perfectly happy to take an ace uh, with one of my first round picks uh, I, I think the biggest place Scott and I differ is mostly just uh, rounds like three through six I'm most likely to just focus on hitter there uh, and my ideal starting pitcher Strategy is probably one of the big three or, you know, Bauer, Darvish, Scherzer for me. Um, and then like three or four starting pitchers in the six to 12 range. Scott. So you talked about, you know, maybe getting good pitching by finding sleepers or whatever pickups during the season. Like, you have you'd have to thread the needle. There just aren't enough difference makers that emerge that way anymore. There will be some, but to to think you're going to assemble the bulk of your pitching staff that way is is folly and the reason you're not going to win if you decide to do that. So um, I think the 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 world is pretty much caught up to the idea that um, you need to build your pitching staff through the draft and it's scary and you're gonna you're gonna miss a lot. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I try to just acknowledge that be, by taking more of those guys and, and trusting myself to find sleeper hitters, hitters off the waiver wire. I think you're much more likely to do that than pitchers. So um, five, the, the golden rule for me this year is, is basically five starting pitchers with my first 10 picks, which will take you at about the 35 range in my starting pitcher rankings. Uh I have yet to do a draft, I think, where I didn't take a starting pitcher with either my first or second pick. I've yet to do a draft where I don't, uh, where I haven't taken two pitchers with my first four picks. You know, sometimes it's one two, sometimes it's one three, sometimes it's two three. Um, TGFBI, I took a starting pitcher with three of my first four picks. Don't feel great about it, but you know, it they were dwindling. So um, yeah, I think I think that's a must five in the first 10 rounds and that way you can withstand a loss of one or two whether because they just don't live up to expectations or they get hurt or whatever else tgfbi for anyone wondering that is also an industry league 15 team five by five standard roto in case you were wondering chris just give me a name your favorite starting pitcher to draft the season or, or the one that you have the most shares of ian anderson is uh, I think Ian Anderson, Ian Anderson and Hyunjin Ryu. You know, when I'm talking about waiting, you know, until the sixth or seventh round, those are two guys who uh, I'm pretty happy to end up with. Scott? Oh, goodness. My favorite starting pitcher to draft. All of um, them. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I don't really play favorites. Is that like that's kind of the whole thing? I, I would say probably Fromber Valdez. Uh, I think the impact versus cost is very much in his favor. Uh, I mean, it's. He's one of the riskier of my top 35, one of the more likely to bust, but he's all, if he doesn't, um, you know, a lot of ground balls to keep the, e, the, the ERA low and, uh, and going to throw a lot of innings. He was right up there with you, Darvish, and Kyle Hendricks. They were the, 
the three pitchers who led the league in, in, in starts of seven innings or more last year. It's Chris Paddock for me. I mentioned it earlier on the podcast, but he's basically my Austin Meadows on the pitching side. I, I would be perfectly fine to wind up with Austin Meadows and Chris Paddock on all of my fantasy teams this season. Relief pitcher strategy, we'll quickly just wrap up with this. We spoke about relief pitchers quite a bit on yesterday's podcast. Anyway, uh, the position is rough all around. There's less saves in baseball than ever before. There's not much job security amongst those closers. If you play in saves plus holds, you probably feel all right there. The Sparps in head-to-head points leagues, those are starting pitchers that you can start as relief pitchers. They also stink this year. So, Scott, your strategy for relief pitchers in both Roto and head-to-head points. I think at the Fantasy Baseball and Five podcast, I'm going to change my favorite pitcher to draft to Carlos Carrasco. So just just putting that out there. <laughs> Bonus content. Um, my yeah, my relief pitcher strategy is wait, is don't pay for saves, is don't 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 pay face value for really anybody. Um, you know, I think the strikeout potential for James Karinchak and Trevor Rosenthal is high enough that if they fall then I will take them as my number one. But otherwise, like, there's going to be so much turnover there during the year. And guys like Will Smith and Amir Garrett, I think, are much safer bets to open as the closer for their respective teams than they're getting credit for in drafts. And if they are closers, I mean, they certainly have the ability to be all-star caliber closers. So um, there's just no reason to pay for it. But, you know... Even even if you miss out on them, like I'm fine with Joaquin Soria, Daniel Bard. I mean, they're not going to be great, but they should get saves. And 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 then if they lose their job, someone else on the waiver wire will be getting saves. And it's just not it's just not where you want to put your draft capital. Chris, I know you hate the position, so I'm not going to have you talk about strategy. Just who is your favorite to draft? Uh, I think I'm there with with Trevor Rosenthal. And and one thing I will say is I I could talk myself into the possibility of drafting one or two of the truly elite closers, you know, those guys who we know are both very good and uh, have the job, you know, Josh Hader, Liam Hendricks. The only problem is it just makes it so much harder to get starting pitching that way because I'm not going to draft four starting pitchers in my first 10 picks and take two relievers. And so, you know, I think if you want, if you felt confident in fading starting pitcher, that's a viable option because in this season where starting pitcher innings are going to be lower, I don't think we expect reliever pitchers, reliever innings to be lower. And so the 70 innings you get from Liam Hendricks could be more impactful this season. Um, I just think you kind of have to make a choice between reliever or starter there and starters are more impactful overall. No, it's a good point that you bring up too. And and it's tough to trust who those truly elite relievers will be because there's a lot of volatility at the position year over year, specifically in production. But if Liam Hendricks does what he has done the past two years this season, normally that would be maybe one third of, a, of an ace pitcher's workload this year. That might be half of what an ace yeah. pitcher does. So I think that that is a good point that you bring up there, Chris as well. All right, we're completely done with position previews. We've we've wrapped it all up. We've recapped it. We've done it all. We'll update some rankings throughout the course of March, and we'll talk about that as well. We are truly done with position previews. And I apologize, we haven't got to your emails in a while. We will have a mailbag 
later on this week. That will be in your feed on Saturday. So continue to send your questions in. We'll start reading some of those more on the podcast regularly once again. But we're getting so many questions that we'll have enough to fill a mailbag. I, I have all the confidence in the world in that. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.